was in her eighth month, um, Margaret called from uh, UNC, University of North Carolina Children's Hospital, and we could tell in her voice that she didn't think Avery was going to make it through the night. It's one of those, she had tubes coming out. I mean, eight major surgeries in eight months. What more can a little body stand? But without the surgery, she would have been dead. So we got some of our other children to come. We were babysitting her other kids, so we got some of the other children to come and stay with them while Laura and I jumped in the car and drove up to UNC and just got there to surprise Margaret and, and, and her husband, Cody, who's a special forces guy, and just to be with them and to pray and ask God to do a miracle in the Lavery's life. Excuse me. Sorry. So um, that night... I went in there with Cody to see her. only two people could go in there at a time. So I went in there with Cody, and she was out. She was totally um, out with the, um, the medication and stuff. And so I said, Avery, you make it through this, and you learn to walk. Papa's going to take you to Disney. And it's going to be your trip. We're going to call it Avery's trip. All the grandkids can come, but it's going to be your trip. So when she got to be about two years old, I started to try to describe to her what Disney was. She had no idea. And I didn't do a very good job of it. Then finally it dawned on me. She's a girl, princesses. Hello. So in about her third year, I started talking about the princesses and who's your favorite princess. And, and you know, do you like Belle? And do you like Ariel? And do you like Rapunzel? And do you like, oh, yeah, I like all these different ones. So finally I said, well, they're all in one place. They're at Disney. Then it clicked. So this last, this last Thanksgiving... Um, we all got together, all 40 of us. We all had on red T-shirts that said Avery's Trip, except one person, and hers said Avery's Trip all on her front, but on the back it said, I'm Avery. <laughs> so we went to Disney. We should get that picture and put it up there. Um, we, we, had, we had all 40 of us in a, in a, uh, in a, in a picture, and we, had, we just had a great time. It was a really great time. So we think there will be more, um, maybe as many as 30. Yeah, crazy, huh? We're not going back to Disney, though. Papa spent every penny he earned <laughs> in his entire life to get them inside Disney. So it's like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Next time you are on your own. So um, my wife's family moved from, this, from, from inside the city of Fable out into the country, about 20 minutes away, kind of a little farm-type thing. They had some acres, and they... You know, they, they raised a couple of horses and that kind of stuff. So they're out there a little bit. And because we had eight kids and they were getting bigger and we knew they'd be teenagers, we had a 12-passenger van. Can you imagine that? A 12-passenger van. As, as I drive through, as I ride through Birmingham and look around, there, there's no parking space we would fit in. <laughs> Just telling you right now. We'd have to park outside the city and walk. Um, so, and, and as we went to visit my wife's parents... About halfway there was this shack off to the side of the road. I mean, it, it looked like something from, you know, uh, from, a, from a movie that was, that was back from the 1800s. I mean, it was a shack. There's no evidence of, I mean, I know there was electricity, but I, it looked like he had like an outhouse back there, you know, an outdoor, no, no, no real indoor place. It, it looked like just an old shack. And so as, as we come down the road, about 55 miles an hour, you kind of go around a curve, and then you go down in this kind of low spot, and then up around, and then on. And so I got pretty good at driving that, and I could hit it pretty good at 55 miles an hour, and Laura was a little worried about that, but, but we always did fine. And, 
And, and kind of right about that time was about halfway in the trip. You go down where that shack is and kind of down low and then up on around. And if it's your first time, it might, it might, it might startle you, but there's a, there's a stake in the ground in this front yard. Now, it's not a yard. There's no grass because you'll see why in a moment. But there's a stake, and there's a chain attached to the stake. And at the other end of the chain is this little white dog who's no longer white because he has torn up all the grass in the front yard, and, he, and he's, he's, calling, he's covered with sand and dirt continually. So he's almost like a tan dog. He's a white dog who's a tan dog. And so he at the other, so here's the chain. So watch this. Here's the chain. And over here, all the way over here is a doghouse. As far as the chain will go is a doghouse. And connected to that end of the chain by a collar, a chain collar, is this little dog. So what he would do is when a car, when he'd hear a car coming down that road, he would run out of his doghouse. He would run right past the chain. And keep going as far as that chain would let him go. So he'd, he'd hear a car coming. He'd come, he'd come running out that little, just as fast as he could go. He'd go right past that. He'd go right past that stake, and he'd go running, running, running until he got as far as he could go. Then the, that chain would make him pop up on his hind legs, and he would bark, going around like this. Whoa! Y'all stop moving. Every single time he would do that. And so my kids, for them, it was kind of like everyone, no matter what you were talking about, if we were listening to a story or there's music, everything had to stop because all the kids would look out the left side of the van. Sure enough, here he comes. And the thing was, he had done this so often that out there at the far extremity, right next to the road, he had dug by going round and round and round, kind of this depression, almost like a hole. So it was like you'd get into that hole and go round and round and round barking, and then you'd drive off and he'd kind of bark and bark like... And, and in dog language, he was saying, y'all better come back here. You better come back here. He was a bona fide car-chasing dog. He was born and bred, made by God to chase cars, but never actually caught one. So in his little brain, he thought for sure, one day, one day I'm going to break loose from this chain. One day I'm going to get free. And when I get free, I'm going to do what I was made to do, and I'm going to chase me down a car and drag him into that doghouse, and I'm going to eat that car. That's exactly what I'm going to do. So it was a thing. Every time we drive out to Grammy and Papa's, that's, that's my wife's parents. Every time we drive out there, Chris can attend. You look out the left side. Here comes the dog. He comes out of the doghouse. He runs right past the spike. He gets to the end of the chain. He pops up because the gag went any further. Round and round in the circle in that little hole. So I don't know what we were doing listening to, but we went out there. One time, and I'm doing 55 miles an hour. And you can't really make, when you go on around that little curve and down in that kind of hole and come back up, you really can't make any changes. And I looked over there and I saw the, I saw the spike in, I saw the spike in the front yard. I saw the chain that went to nothing. And I thought to myself, oh man, how sad. This old man that lives by himself in this shack, lost his dog. His dog must be dead. And no sooner had that thought come into my head than this little brown streak came firing out of that doghouse. <laughs> and you know what my first thought was? He, he, he's never done... I'm thinking, dude, don't start your, char, your, your, your car chasing career with a 12-passenger van doing 55 miles an hour. 
Before I could even, I thought to myself, that dog is going to come out there past that stake, go out into that road about the time, and I'm going to hit him, and my kids are going to go, Daddy killed the dog! Daddy killed the dog! And I just, I just couldn't think of that. All this happened at one time. But here's exactly what. So all of a sudden, I'm coming down that road. I can't make any adjustments. I'm doing 55 miles an hour. I get down to the bottom of it. I see that little brown streak. He comes running right out of that doghouse, right past the stake in the front yard. He gets right to that hole. He jumps up on his back legs and starts going round and round and round and round and barking. <laughs> I swear it's true. He had no chain. Problem was, he didn't know he was free. He didn't know he had been set free. Just one look. Just one look. The problem was, he did not know he was free. I don't want to repeat, repeat last night's message, but I, I do want to walk along the same theme for a minute. See, I, I think sometimes either we don't know or we forget that we've been set free. Either we don't know or we forget that God has more for us than we have yet experienced. Because I'm telling you right now, if God's done with you, tonight's your last night. Goodbye. We love you. Tell Jesus hello when you get there. Because you're done. But if you've got breath and you're sitting here tonight, God has something else for you. He's not done with you. And I think sometimes if we're honest, we find ourselves getting up in our little doghouse. We run out past whatever it is to our job and we go round and round and round and go back in that place and come out and go round and round and round and go back and, and God wants to set us free from that because he's got more for us come on. Come on. I've entitled this message open the can and you'll see why later but just keep that thought in your head I want to read to you out of Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 Paul is talking about the prize he's talking about the prize the upward call of God in Christ Jesus Last night we termed it this way. We said, we're living to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That, that Jesus is the one, what Jesus did on planet earth is what saves you, but what you, your reward in heaven, that's how you get into heaven, but your reward in heaven is based on what you did with what God gave you. Paul was chasing that same prize. Not your prize, his prize. You're not chasing my prize, you're chasing your prize. Amen. God has something for you. The path that God's called you to walk is not the one that God's called me to walk. Your race is not my race. Your walk is not my walk. And at the end of my walk, there's a prize that God is going to give me. At the end of your walk, there's a prize. That is if we use what God's given us. So Paul said, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I don't have the prize yet. But one thing I do, I love this, forgetting what lies behind. And reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You've been called by God. You've been saved by God, yes, but you've also been called by God. God created you for a purpose. God has a plan for your life. A precise God made you with a precise plan to fit into his infinite plan. Fraternity. You fit it. You count. You matter. He says, forgetting what lies behind. You know, by the time Paul wrote this, he's planted a bunch of churches. By the time Paul wrote this, he's done a bunch of miracles. By the time Paul wrote this, he didn't realize it, but he had written portion of the Bible. And he says, he says, forgetting what lies behind. Not just the bad stuff, but the good stuff. Not leaning on where we've been. 
Not leaning on where we used to be with God, but what we need is a fresh word for a fresh day for a fresh life. Something for today, not something from yesterday. He could have said, Lord, I've run my race really well. I've written part of the Bible. I've done a bunch of miracles. I've planted a bunch of churches. I'm going to coast on in from here. He said, no, no, no. Forgetting what lies behind. The good and the bad. The brokenness. If you study Paul's life, and I have, if you study Paul's life, he had relationship problems with people. It's hard to get along with. He was crusty. He's a little, he's just hard sometimes. I know that sounds like it's blasphemy because he's from the Bible, but it doesn't make you perfect because he's in the Bible. I mean, David committed adultery. That ain't perfect. He's in the Bible too. But Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, it's at times like this, God's genius because he created time. Did you know that time didn't always, wasn't always there? I know it's hard to believe that, but God, the Bible says, in the beginning, God. So God exists outside of time. There is no time with God. We live inside of time. God lives outside of time. And if you understand that theologically, it explains a lot of the mysteries. But at any rate, the, the, the point is that, that we live inside of time. God lives outside of time. And so God was genius. He said, these people are going to need something. So he created Evening, morning, the first day, everything was good. Evening, morning, the second day, everything is good. Evening, morning, the third day, everything is good. That's what it says in the book of Genesis. So we've got minutes, we've got seconds, and we've got minutes, and we've got hours, and we've got days, and we've got weeks, and we've got months, and we've got a year. And different societies throughout the ages have, have done it differently, but every society had its own calendar. In other words, there was, a, there was a beginning, and then an end, and a beginning, and an end. You get to start over. In fact, he says in, 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 in Lamentations, my mercies are new every morning. Isn't that good? Yeah. No matter how bad you screwed up yesterday, tomorrow morning will be a brand new set of mercy to fix what you broke. Yeah, I thank God for that because I break a lot of stuff. God's going to provide opportunities to rewrite our script. God's going to give us opportunities to rewrite it. Maybe, 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 maybe you've been going in a direction where you say, this isn't producing fruit in my life. It's not producing fruit in my marriage. It's not producing fruit in my finances. I need a, I need a do-over. Guess what? There are plenty of do-overs. Every single day is a do-over. Every single week is a do-over. And every single year. So here we are at the first conference at the beginning of the year to say, wait a minute. What's my script going to look like for my life in 2020? Does it have to be the same as 2018? Does it have to be the same as 2019? Or can it be a brand new script for a brand new me in a brand new year to reach a brand new prize? Yeah. Going to be all kinds of opportunities. The birth of a child could be a chance to rewrite a script. You'd be having devotions and one, you ever have this happen? One verse from the Bible just jumps out at you. And it's just filled with life. A movie. You, you, you can have a change of script. You can, have, you can receive from God watching a movie. I was at Disney, not, not this last time, but a long time ago, celebrating my father's 90th birthday. He's in heaven now. I led him to Christ in his late 70s. And my mom, too, thank God. So they're both in heaven. But we were there with my, with my dad. and So we went, to this, we went to this show. And I forget what the name of it was, but it was about these cars. And, and there were little bitty tiny cars, and they're driven by race car drivers. And one's a policeman, and the other's bad guys. And, and they drive and try to connect it with each other at high speeds. And, and I'm watching that, and God spoke to me. Right in the middle of it. I'm just watching this. I'm getting entertained. He said, look at how much effort, energy, precision, excellence they put into entertainment. 
isn't a church service more powerful and important than this? I went, wow. That's an important moment. We need to do everything to honor God, but with excellence. We can't let Disney's entertainment be more excellent than the offering we bring to God every single week. Amen? God can speak through any kind of thing. Speak through a sermon series. Speak through tonight. There are millions of opportunities. The key, the key, there are millions of opportunities to rewrite the script. The key is you've got to seize that opportunity when it's in front of you. I want to give you, I think it's five things. I think I've written five, maybe six. Let me just see. Yeah, it's five. I've written five things about an ideal, the ideal script for a life should include these five things. You can write these down if you want. First one is passion. Some passion. And, and you know, to be passionate, it, it, it doesn't mean that you have to be passionate like the person next to you is passionate. Some people's passion, some people's personality is really outgoing. They're, they're just full of full of light and zeal and all that. They're just, they're just full of that. Other people are a little bit more withdrawn and quiet. So what I'm not saying is that the introverted people have to become extroverted. That's not what I'm saying at all. Because passion doesn't have to do with how you act outwardly. It's the inward temperature of your heart. So somebody can be very outgoing and, and sanguine and gregarious and be just as passionate as somebody who's extremely quiet. So I'm the loud one in our family and my wife's the quiet one. But I'll tell you what, you start talking about children, anything to do with children, home education, and that little girl comes alive. It's her passion. You touch on that, you, you touch on the arts and excellence and worship, and all of a sudden she comes alive. That's a passion that she has. If you're here today and you say, you know, Michael, it's been a long time since I've experienced passion. We need to rekindle that passion. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it so sounds like I'm going back to Christmas with this verse, but I want, you to, I want you to hear the last portion of it. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forevermore. Watch this. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. God is a zealous God. God is zealous. God has zeal. He said the strength of God accomplished this. The wisdom of God accomplished this. The justice of God accomplished this. The mercy of God accomplished this. The sovereignty of God accomplished this. It didn't say that. It said the zeal of God will establish Jesus as his son on the throne, ruling over all the principalities and powers, and will be in his kingdom. And the zeal of God established that. If God's zealous. Number two, it's going to include, it's going to include some passion. Number two, it's going to include people, because it's never about you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not about you. Well, look back at them and say, it's not about you either. It's not about you. If we're honest, if we're honest, it's real easy to make life about us. Every time, every time we get offended, we've made life about us. Every time we have an argument and there's anger, we've made life about us. If you think about it, it's real easy to make it about us and then to slip into that entitlement mentality where we feel like we're, des we're, we're deserving of more than we've gotten and that people owe me. 
and, and those kinds of things. It's not, but it's not about you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 32. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others, watch this, better than ourselves. We're talking about first, and I appreciate that. And, and we're talking about put God first, and I really appreciate that. But there's somebody else we should put first. Others. If you want to find, if you want to get your script rewritten, if you want 2020 to be different than 2019, we're going to have to put some other people in front of us. It says, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. The passage goes on and it says, have this same mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being equal with God, who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. I would. If I were equal with God, would I let that go? No. But he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he became obedient to the point of, to the point, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, watch this, therefore God highly exalted him. Turns out that the way up is down. When we humble ourselves and put others in front of us, God will always make way for a person that puts others in front of themselves. That's what Jesus did. The good news is that often your script includes pleasure. It includes something you love, something you're good at, something that, that you may find fun. And I realize that for some of you may think, wait a minute, you're talking about spiritual things. How can these things be spiritual? But they can be, like serving or leading or football. Say, football? Yeah, I'm going to liberate some of you guys right now. Yes, football can be part of your script. I mean, what would happen? What would happen if you got three or four or five guys and you put them, you join an accountability group, and, and you went and you watched, you watched the, you watched the matches together at somebody's house, and you rotated that. You hung out together, you talked football, but before or after, you checked in with each other. You found out if anybody has a need. You prayed for the needs. You held each other accountable. This guy's struggling with this, and this guy's struggling with that. Could God use that to bring a couple of guys closer to develop an accountability group, to take people deeper? Could I actually have some fun and do some stuff I like to do, and actually growing God at the same time? See, sometimes we think, well, if it's a Christian life, it's God, I'll be hard work, and here we go, worship God. But, you know, we can worship God when we're connected to other people. We can worship God without singing by the way we live, by the way we serve others and lay our lives down for others and be connected with others and think about others. So I want to challenge you. What's in your hand? You know what? When, when God was going to use Moses, he was rewriting Moses' script. The script that was written for Moses was that he should lead the people out of bondage in Egypt, but it was written, it was written in Moses' mind that the, that the grandson, the adopted grandson of Pharaoh, who's trained in languages and, and the arts of war and economics and government, that he would rise up one day and he would take his people out of Egypt and bring them with grandeur and power and majesty and might into the promised land. But after he killed a Hebrew Excuse me, after he killed an Egyptian and Pharaoh found out about it, he ran away and he spent 40 years in the backside of the desert. And he spent all that time tearing up the plan that he had. He was right about leading the people out. He was wrong about the glory and the grandeur and the might. So he comes and he meets with Moses. God does and he says, I want, I want you to lead my people out of bondage in Egypt. He says, I can't go back to Pharaoh. He's going to kill me. No, you're going to go. Okay, uh, I'm not a good speaker. Okay, fine, use Aaron. Okay, I really don't want to go. The Bible says God almost killed him. 
I said, I'm not going. So he said, okay, I'll just kill you. All right, fine, I'll go. <laughs> what had happened was the textbook and the sword and all the stuff that he had gained in Egypt was all laid by the wayside, and now he'd been a shepherd. Watch this. He was raised as an Egyptian. The worst profession you could have, according to the Egyptians, was to be a shepherd. That's the lowliest thing you could do. He's in a man's society. These sheep aren't even his sheep. They're his wife's sheep. Go back and look it up. He's got the lowest job. And of all the shepherds that are, he works for his wife. They're not even his sheep. He's as low as you can get. And God comes to him and says, Moses, you can do this. He said, Lord, I don't think I can. Let me ask you a question. He said, what am I going to do when, I, when they ask me who sent me? You tell them I am. Because I am. Give me more. What's in your hand, Moses? Just this stick. Throw it down. And he threw it down. Remember what happened? It became a serpent. And he said, pick it up. Now, now I grew up in the South mostly. You're going to catch a snake. You catch him behind the head. Because just in case you didn't know, the lethal part of the snake is his head. So the last thing you do is reach down and grab a snake by the tail. Hey, Mom, pow! <laughs> the Bible says that it became, a, it became a snake. And the Bible literally says that Moses, he didn't know what he was doing. He had no idea. He's like we are. You're probably scratching your head. Rewrite my script. What's it going to say? Who gets to write it? What am I going to do? We don't really know. He reaches down and he picks up the stick, the snake by the tail, turns back into a stick. It's just a rut. Let me tell you something. It's just a stick. But when you put it in the hand of God and you submit it to God, you can do supernatural stuff with natural stuff. Football, which is very natural, can be supernatural when a bunch of guys get together and connect, become accountable, pray for each other, become like brothers watch each other, walk each other through each other's problems. That's just an example. God used an 83-year-old man with a stick to destroy the greatest empire on the face of the earth to date, the Egyptian. An 83-year-old man with a stick. It's not about you. It's about, about people. It's also about pleasure. It's also about perspective. It's all on how you see it. You know, my wife and I never argue because we always see things exactly the same way. Y'all are saying, that man, I'm, you're watching me because you said God's going to strike him dead. He lied in church. <laughs> you know that's not true. You know that is not true. If I say it's green, she says it's red. If I say it's up, she says it's down. Come on, somebody. You know I'm telling the truth. That's the way it works, right? The God put opposites really do attract. They really do attract. And when I say this, when, when I say this, I, I, I don't want you to think that I'm just positive all the time. But, but every cloud has a silver lining. Did you know that? You, you know why every cloud has a silver lining? Because God is in every cloud. And sometimes, sometimes on our journey, we go through those cloudy times. You know, we, we were just uh, uh, talking about it. Um, Nick was driving, Pastor Nick was driving us around. And we were talking about how's it in your, in your neck of the woods, you know, North Carolina. We have 265 sunny days a year. 
to her. He says, well, you know, England's always great. So we're, we're wearing our raincoats and getting in the car and looking up. And Chris said it on the way. He said, I'm sure glad I brought my sunglasses. <laughs> Talk about the clouds, you know. But sometimes, sometimes there are clouds that come into our lives. And, and sometimes we, we, we don't know where we are. Have you ever kind of lost your way? If you're honest, have you ever lost your way in your marriage? Have you ever lost your way with your children? Have you ever lost your way in your walk with God? Just feel like you lost your way? You don't even really know where you are? It feels like a cloud. Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's confusion. Sometimes it's a sickness. Sometimes it's, it's a problem on the job. You're asking God for this, but it seems to be turning out like that. It's not the way you wanted it to be. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so you're in a, at a time when you can say, I'm just, I'm just like in a fog. I'm just like in a cloud. And is, is there any hope for me? And I'm here to tell you that, that there's a silver lining inside of that. And when you hear that, you think, oh, Michael, you're just a positive person. So let me, let me change it around and put it like this. God is in every cloud. You know, I was talking about Moses a moment ago. So when Moses finally got the people out of the, of the land of Egypt, he brought them out and they were wandering. And so God brought him to the mountain of God. And he invited Moses to come up on the mountain, and he was going to download the commandments to them, and it was his intention that all the people come up as well. But when Moses went up on the mountain, there was thunder and lightning, peals of lightning, it said, earthquakes. I mean, it's, a, it's almost like the whole mountain was exploding, and the people were afraid. And so Moses came down, and they said, listen, listen, you go up and meet with God. We don't want to see him. You go up and meet with God. As for us, we'll stay at a distance. And the Bible says each man, wor- each man worship God at the opening of his tent at a distance. Moses appealed to him and said, no, 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 no. No, no, listen, God's come to test you. He wants to make you, every one of you, a priest. Not just a few of us a priest. He wants everyone to be a priest. He wants you to come up and meet him. But they looked at the cloud, the Bible says. And they looked at the struggle, the peals of thunder and the, and the, the lightning and the earthquakes and all of that. And they said, that's, it's too much for us. So the Bible says after Moses appealed to them, no, 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 God wants you to come up. Come on up with me. They said, no, we'll stay at a distance. So many Christians worship at a distance instead of face to face. The Bible says that Moses went up in the cloud. I love this phrase. It says that Moses went in the thick darkness where God was. Moses went into the thick darkness where God, where was God in the thick darkness? You know, I had a, it wasn't really a, 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 he was an acquaintance. Way, way, way back when I was a much younger pastor, we were in a pastor's gathering, and this guy told a story about how when he lived in a, he lived in a, a Christian commune, all these, it was, in, it was in Michigan, and all these young hippie type Christians lived together in this big giant house, and one day the house caught on fire. And, and he said, you know, he knew everything about this house. He said he lived there for a number of years. And so if you had said, go to your bedroom, blindfolded, go to your bedroom, go past this room, five, six steps down, up the steps, over to the left, open the doors, bedroom's right there. No problem. He said, you could have blindfolded me. I could go everywhere through that house with, with the blindfold on without bumping my shins against anything. And maybe you could do the same in your house. But he said when the house caught on fire, he got there and he saw the flames and he realized there are people still in there. So he ran in with all the confidence that he could get inside, and he knew to turn left, go three, four steps, go right, down the hallway, two doors, that's such and such a place. But he said when he got in there, he said, you've never seen such darkness. The house was filled with smoke. And he said he ran in, and all, he hadn't gone but a few steps, and he realized he didn't know where he was. He got totally disoriented. 
He said it was amazing how he said he's bumping into stuff. It's amazing how, how that thick darkness. And sometimes we find ourselves in those places, don't we? Where we're in, we feel like we're in thick darkness. And we can't find our way. And we, and we know God's out there somewhere. But I'm just telling you one thing. The Bible says that Moses, he went on the mountain into the thick darkness. By the way, everyone lived in the fire. Just to let you know. Moses went into the thick darkness where God was. So it's almost like groping around. Lord, I know you're in here somewhere, but I'm going to find you. Listen, when trouble comes, God's in the midst of the trouble. When struggle comes, God is in the midst of the struggle. When you're broken, you can't pay your bills, God is in that cloud someplace. The thing is, he's not going to come running up to you with a flashlight and say, here I am. Because sometimes what God is doing, he's taking one step back, two steps back, three steps back from us saying, seek me. When you seek me, you shall find me. When you search for me with all your heart. Don't let the cloud make you give up on the rewriting of your script. Hang in there, because God is in the cloud. Moses went into the thick darkness where God was. And I don't know how long it took, but eventually he heard that still small voice whisper and turned around and saw nothing, but he knew God is in that place. I'm telling you, God's in that place. And then finally, persevere. To rewrite your script, you got to keep going. Don't give up. Never give up. Einstein, Albert Einstein, listen to this. Albert Einstein could not speak until he was four. He couldn't read until he was seven. Isaac Newton did poorly in grade school. Walt Disney, listen to this one, this tickles me. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper because he had, quote, no good ideas. Leo Tolstoy, the famous author, flunked out of college. Werner von Braun, one of the most famous, literally, rocket scientists of all time, failed ninth grade algebra. And Haydn gave up on making a musician out of Beethoven, concluding, quote, that he was a slow, plodding man who possessed no apparent talent except a belief in music. What if these people have given up? People say they can't, they can't, they can't, they aren't, they aren't, they aren't. It was rumored that God, it was rumored that Grandpa was a wealthy man. True story. It's rumored that Grandpa was a wealthy man, but nobody knew. He was silent about his money, and no one knew how much money he actually really had. They just speculated. Sometimes when the family would get together, they would say, how much money do you think the old boy's got? And nobody knew. But they did know this. There was a favorite grandson. And everybody knew that when the will was read after Grandpa died, favorite grandson was going to get the most they just knew that. Finally, in the course of time, Grandpa did die. So everyone came, all the family came with great interest to the reading of the will. They all sat on the edge of the seat. And Uncle this got a little something, and Aunt that got a little something, and the sons and the daughters got this and that. This grandchild got this, and that grandchild got that. And he had saved in his will. Favorite grandson. So when the lawyer read the, read the will, he said, favorite grandson gets the farm, the house, the barn, the outbuildings, and a little bit of cash. And everyone left the lawyer's office a little disappointed because where's all the money? 
And at first, my favorite grandson was disappointed. And he thought, well, I guess he wasn't wealthy like we thought. And then he put, a, he put a better face on it. And he said, you know, it's more than I had yesterday. So I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to take the proceeds from the sale of my house. And I'm going to fix up the, the farm. Fix up the house and the barn and the, and the outbuildings. And he was fairly handy, so he went out with the tools. And the first day after selling his house, he had a little bit of money. And so he goes to work on the house first. And there's some boards and the wall boards, old-fashioned. Not like plaster, but boards on the inside of the house. And some of them were kind of, kind of bent a little bit, bowed. So he pulled them out with a crowbar in order to put new boards in. And when he did, occasionally a coffee can would fall out onto the ground. And so he gets this big old dumpster, brings it out front, and throws all the trash away in the dumpster. And every week they haul it away wherever the dump is. So he replaces the board, and, and the one next to it is fine. And about four boards down, there's another one. So he gets a crowbar and pulls it down. And when he does, out comes tumbling this irritated in the way so he takes it and puts it in the pile of trash and they dump it in the dumpster and the course of months he fixes up the head takes him months to fix up the house and he starts to work on the barn and when he gets in the barn and he sees a couple of more of those wall boards that are kind of kind of half bent you know and he pulls them out and coffee can falls out and he says to himself I didn't know my grandfather drank that much coffee this is a true story no, no telling how many hundreds of coffee cans are thrown away by the time they get done with the house and the barn. He's working on the outhouse, on the outbuildings, and same thing. It takes him months to do it. And he's been in this project for less than a year, but a long time. He's working on the last outbuilding, and he pulls a, another board down, and out comes another coffee can or two. And finally, he said, you know what? What's the deal with these coffee cans? And he opened it. And it was packed full of $100 bills. He had thrown away hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Because he had an inheritance, but he didn't know what he had. Listen, Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay for your sins. But also to give you a future and a hope. Not just in the sweet by and by, but in 2020. You can rewrite your script. But what you're going to have to do is seize every opportunity God brings your way. You, you can't afford to let them pass. You've got to seize every opportunity God brings your way in this coming year. To put it another way, please, open the can.